breakfast. A.M., 9 a.m., yes. It would be a lousy breakfast if we were in the p.m. <laughs> so anyway, yes, 9 a.m. And uh, so bring, food, bring a breakfast item. I think we, do we have people lined up for making pancakes? What's that? Okay, we'll make pancakes for you. So, yeah, the pancake makers will be here a little bit earlier, but at 9 we'll start serving, and this year we get to use Darg Hall, and it ought to be a great time. And then we have coming up uh, later in the month, April 23rd, is another work day at Camp Halawasa, and that's just an awesome ministry to young people that happens every summer, and uh, we get to be a part of helping make that happen. And a lot of what makes camp happen is uh, the unsung heroes showing up early and putting things in order, cutting trees, painting things, doing mud work, all kinds of things. So if you were to want to carpool down to the camp, it's near Hot Springs, just meet here at 8. 8 a.m. a.m. And if you want to just go directly to the camp, things will be booting up there at 9 o'clock a.m. All right? So those are some of the things that are happening. You can go to our website at commonground.org, or commongroundcma.org, and uh, check our update tab and see what kind of activities are going on. Uh, But let's get started today and continue in worship, and a good way to do that is just by getting up out of our seats and uh, going and saying hello to one another. So uh, go greet one another. Maybe you can share the best April Fool's joke that happened to you on Friday, if a good one happened to happen to you. Uh, But there you go. Uh, Take some time and say hi to one another.
your name as well as we can. Um, teach us um, how to be more like you, how to um, just open our hearts to thanksgiving. Um, make us a grateful people, um, people that want to praise your name uh, with all that we can. Um, so yeah, 
Amen. Uh, we will now begin our time of offering. Uh, we welcome you to join the ministry financially through uh, the giving links on the screen here. Um, you can see several options for online, uh, in person, in the back, um, and through text. Uh, for our next song, uh, feel free to sit or stand um, and just try to pray the words um, as you sing.
Good morning. My name is Tim. And uh, first of all, I'd like to just thank you as a church body and friends and community for your support over this last week as uh, Mandy and I have been, I guess, struggling through the loss of our, our granddaughter last Saturday. But God is faithful, and He will see us through. For prayer time this morning, I'd like to, to go back to uh, Hebrews 10. Evan talked about this last week, and I've been meditating on it all week long. But uh, let me just read, read some and give some commentary, and then we will pray. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So that's kind of the prologue. This is the big reason. So let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith and our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So that's calling us to draw near to God. And one way we can do that is through prayer. One way we can do that is fellowshipping with each other and just encouraging each other. And uh, so then we get the next statement. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You know, I'm, I don't know, we've probably all been through times where we felt, you know, how am I ever going to make it through this? like the end of the world is coming, 
Is there any hope? But there is hope. Just hold fast to our hope in Jesus Christ, what He's done, what He has promised. And let us consider how to spur up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, in, as is the habit of son, some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Our, our community is a you know, major part of our life. The church that God has given us, maybe even the church global. Um, I like to tell the story that when we first moved to Malaysia, you know, everything was so different, very different, nothing that we had ever experienced for, before in our lives. But when we went to church that first Sunday, it was like coming home. It was like a place of, of uh, um, knowing, you know, that these people love God. Yeah, they were different. Their skin was different. They're a lot shorter. But, uh, you know, we were all worshiping the same true God. What I'd like to do is have us break up into little small groups and think about these things, about drawing near to God, um, our hope that we have in Him. Maybe you're going through something this week that's giving you a challenge on stretching your faith and the hope that God gives us. And then finally, you know, how can we encourage each other? So I'll give us about five minutes or so, so and then I'll close in prayer. So if you would just kind of get together in little groups and, and just share with each other, and maybe you'll have time also to pray, but at least pray during the week if you don't have time.
Our dear Heavenly Father, you made the heavens and the earth. You are sovereign. You direct our steps as well as the paths of nations in doing your will. Nothing is out of your control, Lord. Lord, we just thank you that you're present here, that you hear us when we pray, when we cry out to you. Lord, I just pray that you would draw us to you. It tells us to draw to you, but we know that you will put into our path things that will draw us closer to you. Let us seek you this week, Lord. Let us be able to see you. Open the eyes of our heart that we may see you and what you are doing in and around us. Lord, the circumstances of this life often drag us down and we get clouded and worried and feel that all hope is gone. Lord, give us strength. Give us comfort that we would hang on to that faith in the things that you have promised. The hope that you give us through the trials and tribulations of life we will praise you for bringing us through and praise you when things go well, praise you when things go bad. We're reminded of the words of Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be your name. And Lord, as we meet as a community of believers, I pray that you would use us in each other's lives, that we would maybe make the uncomfortable move or statement to, uh, you know, get out of our comfort zone, to encourage one another, to spur us to love and good deeds. I pray that this body would have an influence not only within this room, but throughout the city and throughout the world. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tim. Thanks for leading in that. Thank you, everyone, for engaging in prayer there. I'll give you a minute to find your seats again um, as we jump back into Hebrews 10. Um, I hope you're into memorization and continuing to dwell on certain passages because that's what we're doing with Hebrews 10 is we're going through this um, over and over again because I think this is a really key passage for us in our faith. Um, But as we've been talking, um, we're continuing on in our series in the book of Hebrews, and we've been talking about how the book of Hebrews was written to a people who were really struggling in their faith. Um, They were a group of people who had converted from Judaism in the first century to Christianity, and they were really wrestling with how difficult their lives had become. Um, And so they were questioning and doubting whether or not they made the right decision to follow Jesus. Um, They were doubting and questioning whether or not the beliefs and the faith that they had was enough. They were doubting and questioning um, whether or not it was worth it to follow this. Um, And they were questioning a lot of the beliefs they had because they thought maybe these conflict with the beliefs that we already had. Um, and so the author of Hebrews, he's, he's walking 
with them through these questions, through these doubts. He's reminding them of who Jesus is, um, how he is deeply connected, and he is the, the intense fulfillment of the Old Testament, and that their faith is enough, and that they can rest in that. And last week, we talked about Jesus' finished work in us, how his sacrifice as a high priest um, opened the way for us to be in God's presence. Um, and we talked about how that was really the big idea for about six chapters of the book of Hebrews. Huge section of the book was all dedicated towards that topic, how Jesus' work as the high priest and Jesus' work as the sacrifice in the temple has, has done all the work necessary to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, um, to make us able to be in God's presence. And that was the focus for a lot of the book of Hebrews. Now we get to a bit of a transition in the book. And this transition is what Tim just walked us through in that prayer time and what we've actually already looked through because this is really kind of the the pinnacle of this chapter here. Um, And what it is is the implications of all that Jesus has done for us, that if we've talked about for the last six chapters who Jesus is and what he's done, what we're going to look at today is, okay, if that is all true, now what? How do we live that out? What does that change in our lives? What are the implications for us in this? That if Jesus really has done all this, how should we live? Um, What difference does it make? What do we do about it? And I think as we look at those three things um, that we actually just prayed through, I think they're critically important um, because they help us to achieve or to pursue pursue the goal that I think the Christian life is all about. And I'm going to make the statement that I I think, at least my goal is, Um, The goal of the Christian life is eternal life, right? As we live in this world with our clock ticking, our goal is eternal life. And there's actually one time in the New Testament um, when Jesus gives us the explicit definition of what eternal life is. Um, If you're part of our Wednesday Bible studies, you know that we just talked about it this last week in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Um, This is actually the one explicit definition of eternal life and what I believe really is the goal of our lives. Jesus says this, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's our definition of eternal life. And honestly, I think that's the goal of our lives, of our faith. To know God. To know Jesus, whom he has sent. And we know that we exist as a church um, to see this played out in the world. Um, to fulfill the Great Commission, and the Great Commission is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything Jesus taught us, that the Great Commission is the outworking of this, seeing this take place. And when we get to Hebrews chapter 10 here, in light of this as our goal, I think Hebrews chapter 10 gives us a clear instruction of how to pursue this goal, that if this is our goal, Hebrews chapter 10 gives us three ways to pursue this. Um, now, I, uh, I taught you guys a pro-Bible reading tip a few weeks ago on how to approach uh, what are called salad passages. Do you remember that? You all thought it was very impactful. This is like master's level education. Um, you remember this, right? Do you remember what it is? How do you approach salad passages? Anyone, feel free to shout out. What are we looking for? What does every salad have in it? Lettuce, Lettuce, right? And what is the purpose of a salad? It's a a starter, right? It's an appetizer. And so the important thing comes after the salad, right? The meat. And so anytime we see the lettuce, we're paying close attention for what is coming next. And what we're going to see 
is we have three lettuce statements here in the section that we're going to read connected to these three instructions, these three ways that we can pursue eternal life, knowing God, knowing Jesus. And so we're going to read from verse 19 to verse 25, and I want you to pay attention to these lettuce statements. Pay attention to these instructions because that's the focus here. And we're going to have the the words on the screen here as well, starting in verse 19. And again, we're going to just read this a million times, and I hope that this really just gets stuck into our hearts and minds. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful." And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. And so that's really what the Christian faith is all about. As we are pursuing this goal of knowing God, knowing Jesus, and fulfilling the Great Commission, those three statements um, are central to how we pursue that, central to how we put this into practice. And so today, um, we're going to be looking at those three statements, and we're going to focus kind of on the practical aspects of it. Okay, if Jesus is all this, and if this is the instruction, how do we do that? What do we do about it? How do we draw near to God? What does holding on to the hope mean? Um, And why is this instruction um, to consider others so important? So that's kind of where we're headed today. We're going to focus sort of on the practical there. Um, And the first one, obviously, is let us draw near to God. And I talked about that last week as well. In fact, this is actually something that I've talked about quite a bit. Um, It's something that we talk about over and over again here at Common Ground, which I just realized. Um, And if you've been keeping track at home, uh, I've been your pastor now. Actually, this month will be 20 months, which when you put it that way, it doesn't seem very long. I'm like, wow, that's it. Um, But so far in the 20 months that I've been here, this topic of being with Jesus, of drawing near to God, um, I've actually probably talked about six or seven times. I've, I didn't do it intentionally, um, but as we've gone through um, the I am statements, we talk about abiding in the vine. As we go through Daniel, we see Daniel like prevailing in prayer. As we went through the Psalms, there was always the instruction to draw near to God. And what ends up happening is that I've talked about this concept of drawing near to God, of being with Jesus more than anything else, probably six or seven times, maybe seven and a half. Um, and if you count this, maybe like add a third to that, um, but quite a bit. And so I'm sorry for harping on this so much, but I really do think that this is central to our Christian faith. Um, that at the end of the day, if our goal is to know Jesus and to know God, one of the best ways to do that is drawing near to him, spending time with him. After all, if we are disciples of Jesus, a disciple, first and foremost, walks with their rabbi. Um, An apprentice spends time with the master. And so being with Jesus, being in God's presence, drawing near to God, is central to this. And as I pointed out last week, um, this is repeated over and over again in the book of Hebrews. Um, He's telling this original audience over and over again, let us approach God's throne with grace. He said, therefore, he is able to save those who come to God through him. And then he says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And over and over, there's this instruction, draw near to God. 
Draw near to God. Come to him. Approach his throne. And I think it's important to continue to harp on this because before we get to the other instructions, the other two lettuce statements, I think we have to notice the order that this is in, that there's a reason I think that this one comes first. There's a reason that it begins with the instruction to draw near to God. Because especially for people like us um, who we value the Great Commission and we value serving others and, and seeing others come to know Christ and, and we want to be people who are impacting our city and impacting our world for the gospel. I think the temptation for us, if that is our passion, is to put those things first, to put the serving and put the work and put the action first and to mix up the order that the author of Hebrews has here. And instead of beginning with this time with Jesus, with time and deep connection of of being poured into by God, of drawing near to God, and then seeing him work in and through us. Um, We often start with the work, right? We just think, oh, we just need to get busy. We just need to be doing this. Um, We're just going to jump into mission, and we're just going to hope that in some way um, it's going to work out. Um, and, And we work oftentimes out of our own strength when this happens, that I think if we mix up the order that the author of Hebrews gave us here, if we start with the spurring on of others, if we start with trying to hold on our faith and without first drawing near to God, I think we run the risk of bad things happening. And I think one of the things that can happen is that oftentimes, if we are serving out of our own strength, um, if we are working to to help others to be Jesus' hands and feet um, without spending time before Jesus' face, oftentimes working out of our own strength results in us not necessarily making Jesus' name well-known, um, but making our name well-known, you know? Instead of preaching the gospel that, that God is the God who moves towards the marginalized and who is serving, serving in the world and motivates people to help, um, we just preach the gospel that, you know, Evan's a real helpful guy. Um, he does things for people. Or we often run the risk, if we're serving out of our own strength, of running out of strength, right? Um, oftentimes we get into serving, and if we do this without starting at this deep connection to God, Um, We're going to be serving, we're going to be pouring out, and never getting poured into. And what tends to happen, what I've seen happen over and over again, is with all the outpouring, with all the serving, without connection to God, is eventually we start to get a little frustrated. Um, It starts to feel like it's just work, um, and serving the Lord is not always something where you see all the fruit right away, like there's a lot of groundwork, there's a lot of planting seeds And if we're serving out of our own strength, then it just gets discouraging. It gets discouraging, and we start to wonder if it's really worth it. We start to wonder if all this effort is actually doing anything. Or worst case scenario, we just get completely burnt out, right? We're serving, we're doing these things, and we feel like we're putting so much effort into this, and we start to believe that maybe we're the only ones who care, and no one else is helping us with these things, and we start to just get so disenfranchised with this work that we're doing, and we're just saying, well, God, I'm like slaving away, working for you, trying to do these things. Where are the results? Where are the people helping me? And eventually, we burn out. We think, this is not worth it. We'll quit. We'll take a season off. And we end up not even achieving that first goal. And so that's why I think um, when before we approach the practice of serving others, before we approach being God's hands and feet to the world, I think we have to start with sitting before God's face. I think if we are going to be a people through whom God works, we must spend time in his presence, drawing near to him so that as he pours into us, we can pour out into others. 
that we serve from that place. And so I think this order is pretty significant. I think there's a reason um, that this one is first. Um, Before we get to anything else, we have to draw near to God. We spend time in his presence. We are changed and shaped and empowered by him. And the proper response to this reality is drawing near to him, right? And a lot of things probably come to your mind when you think of that. Um, When you think of drawing near to God, you probably think of prayer, um, you think of worship, you think of service. And there are a lot of different things that you can do, and there are a lot of options. And all these options, I think, are just requiring us um, to get out of our chair and to move towards him. And one of the best ways to draw near to him, um, if I just could pick one and to focus on for the sake of time so that you guys get to eat lunch today, is I just want to focus on one that is probably the one that you would all think, okay, yeah, that's obvious, duh. But I think it's one of the ones that is least practiced. And so it's not going to be groundbreaking, but one of the best ways that I think we can draw near to God and remain connected to him is by reading our Bibles. Anybody's mind blown by that? Have you ever heard that before, Luke? Anybody ever tell you that? First time, right? Yeah, I'm pretty creative. Um, But the reality is um, that Jesus said that you dwell in me when you dwell in my words. And the primary practice that I think allows us to, to draw near to God is drawing near to the Bible. And I know all of your faces are saying like, okay, yeah, my pastor told me to read my Bible. That's helpful. Surprise, surprise. What's new? But while this might be, you know, the first thing that comes to our mind or might be like the most common instruction when it comes to drawing near to God, um, the reality is that most Christians in the U.S. don't actually do this. This isn't actually that common of a way um, for us to draw near to God. Um, You can look this up. Uh, Every year, the American Bible Society releases what they call the State of the Bible. Um, It's a big survey. Every year, they post this, you know, about 250-page report where they're surveying, you know, how often people are reading the Bible, what is Bible usage in the U.S., and what is the impact, kind of what's the point. Um, Just have a few data points to bring to your attention here. The first one, so this is around people that actually do read their Bible. Um, You can look at the um, study yourself online. It's free, available there for you. Um, When it comes to the 30% of Americans that they would say, regularly engage with a Bible. Um, that yellow section there that is kind of outlined as your Bible users, so those are, that's 30% of the population. Your average Bible user, people that are actually engaged with the Bible, interact with the Bible at least three to four times a year on their own outside of church or mass. And so you see this is something that is not actually that practiced. Not something that there is actually that much use for. And then you have a majority population that doesn't actually interact with it. And one of the reasons, you know, they survey people, okay, what are the reasons that you're not as engaged with the scriptures as you could be? Um, And we have some, the next chart will kind of show that. Um, And the number one reason, so these are all the reasons laid out. Um, The number one reason, we can kind of zoom in on that, is that people say why they're not as engaged with the Bible as they can be is because they don't have enough time. That's the number one. So on the next slide, it'll show you that. The, the two most common reasons. Number one, not enough time. Uh, number two is you don't know where to start, essentially. And this first one, that we don't have enough time, um, here's the deal. I, I will just affirm this 100%, honestly. Um, I don't think it's fair, oftentimes, um, for pastors and people to stand up here and say, like, no, you do have time. You just need to fit God into your busy lives. You, know, you need to fit him into your lunch break or wake up earlier or stay up later. Because I honestly, as I look around and as I consider all of our schedules, 
I can 100% affirm that we are too busy. I think our schedules are too full. And I think to give the instruction to add some Bible reading to your schedule is frankly impossible. I don't think it is possible for most of us. I think our schedules are too full for that. I affirm the reality most people do not have enough time. And so, when it comes to drawing near to God, when it comes to adding more Bible in our lives, I don't think it's about adding this. I don't think it's about fitting it into your lunch break, listening to it in the shower, trying to just fit the Bible in wherever you can. For most of us, drawing near to God is going to require subtraction, not addition. It's actually going to require us cutting other things out, not fitting the Bible in. It's going to require making more space in our schedules because I think they are too busy. I think that's a reality. And you can't fit the Bible into your schedule. Like, we all have the same 24-hour period. And a lot of the times you'll read about, like, the reformers or the old, like, champions of faith, and, you know, they woke up at 4 a.m. to read the Bible and to pray, and we, like, feel bad because we're like, ugh, I can't wake up that early. What you don't see is that they all went to bed at, like, 5 or 6 in the evening anyway, you know? Like, we all have the same 24-hour period. Um, But our lives are much busier. And so... For most of us, drawing near to God, it's going to require subtraction. It's going to require cutting things out in order to make this space. It's going to require probably practicing that spiritual discipline God gave us called the Sabbath of actually taking a day off to focus on him. And God was very explicit in that. I want you to take a day off to focus on me and don't even worry about what you'll eat or drink or anything. Like, I will give you food. Just take a day off and focus on me because he recognized our tendency to just fill our schedules, to not have enough time for him. And so before we get to, I think, drawing near to God, and before we get to implementing a lot of practices that are going to result in drawing near to God, I think before we get there, a lot of us just have to consider what do we need to cut out? What do we need to stop doing? What needs to be subtracted in order for us to actually have time for drawing near to God, for actually reading our Bible, for actually praying, for doing anything else? But I promise you, that making these subtractions, that making space for God in our lives is worth it, and especially (laughs) making time for the Bible. Um, This next data point, I was kind of hesitant to show you because it's like, it has like hints of uh, prosperity gospel in it, but not quite there. Um, But so they did a study looking at, you know, what effect does uh, spending time with the Bible actually have in our lives, and how does it help people achieve what Americans would consider the good life. And so they judge the good life um, by these six different metrics. Uh, One of them, happiness, life satisfaction. Second is mental and physical health, meaning and purpose, character and virtue, close social relationships, and financial and material stability. And if we look at this chart, and what they have found, the American Bible Society in 2021, is that in every single category, except one, and that's the reason I feel like I'm able to share this, because that one's pretty significant, (laughs) is that every category except one, being engaged more in the Bible, makes your life better. Um, The one interesting thing is, like, it seems like the the further you are away from the Bible, the more money you get, which is (laughs) pretty telling, (laughs) because as you read the Bible, oh, it kind of tells you to give your money away, right? Or it kind of tells you not to take advantage of people. Um, But in other metrics, in their flourishing index making these subtractions, cutting these other things out, and spending time in God's word is worth it. (laughs) In all the ways that we consider something to be worth it, 
it's worth it. Your bank account might say otherwise. <laughs> Just a warning to you. Um, but in all the other ways, we see the benefits. And so when it comes to drawing near to God, when it comes to subtracting these things that we see as good things and things that are helping us in life, I just want to remind us over and over again that it's worth it, that drawing near to God is always worth it here. Draw near to God and consider this week, what is it that you need to cut out in order to draw near to him? Okay, a second letter statement is in verse 23. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Or as the ESV puts it, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And so it's holding to the hope we profess. It's holding to confession. Um, now, what do you think that hope that we profess might be? Or what is this confession? It's belief in the gospel, essentially, right? Um, the story of Jesus, the story of the Bible, knowing him, um, the truth of the gospel, it's, it's holding on to this and believing in it, right? It's believing that we will follow Jesus on the path and we will not swerve off of it, right? That we are going to be people who will commit to the narrow way um, without jumping off, without bailing, without wavering off, without swerving off in another direction. It's standing upright in the face of circumstantial and cultural pressures and holding on to our belief in Jesus. And I think obviously the reason that the, the preacher here, the author of Hebrews, has to tell us to hold on to the hope we profess, to hold on to the gospel, is because it's not that easy to hold on to, is it? Right? <laughs> um, there are so many times when faith is kind of slippery, kind of hard to hold on to, where we do waver at times, where we want to swerve off in another direction. And holding on to the hope that we profess is actually a difficult thing. I think that's why he has to instruct us here. Has anyone else been able to relate in your life of following Jesus? Or is it just me, right? Like following Jesus is hard. Holding on to our faith can be difficult at times. First off, I think the gospel is kind of a weird story. I think we can just address that, right? It's 30 AD. There's a Jewish prophet who claims to be God, also claims to be the son of God. Um, he travels around and he performs a lot of miracles that people saw, and so they follow him. And then he kind of intentionally gets killed by the Romans. And somehow that has something to do with everyone who has ever been born. And that seems like a crazy story. And then he comes back and his followers are convinced that they saw him. And now here we are 2,000 years later in South Dakota, all gathering around the reality that we had an experience with this same guy, the same Jewish prophet. Like, that's kind of wild, is it not? And so the gospel can be kind of hard to hold on to because it's not something that we would probably put together ourselves. It's not something that necessarily is easy to swallow or easy to hang on to. And so the instruction here is we need to hold on to this hope, to hold on to the gospel, to hold on to this peculiar story of God working in the world and saving humanity. And it's significant that we hang on to this, but I think it's significant that we just recognize that it's hard to hold on to. 
that we recognize that we will face situations that will make us want to swerve, um, situations that will lead to the doubts that make us waver. But I think it's important, especially as we see in the book of Hebrews, it says over and over again um, that Jesus can handle that, right? That Jesus has given us enough to hold on. That Jesus has given us enough to keep us on that path without swerving off. And one of the best examples of that, I think, is the story of Thomas from the Gospel of John. Um, If you know much about the story of Thomas, Thomas was a disciple of Jesus. He had been following him around for three years. Um, But in John chapter 20, after Jesus had come back from the dead post-Easter, what we see is a part of Thomas's story where following Jesus was hard to hold on to, where he was swerving, where he was wavering a little bit. He had difficulty holding on to the hope that he professed in the language of Hebrews here. And Thomas faced something that I think all of us will face at one point or another in our lives, and that's this temptation to waver or to swerve, right? These doubts that come up that cause us to question, that make the gospel hard to hold on to. And this is what the original audience in Hebrews faced as well. Um, It's in verse 32 where we actually get a good snapshot and a picture of what these people were going through, of some of the problems that the author of Hebrews was addressing. And in verse 32 of Hebrews 10, tells him this. He says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those who were in prison, and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. These are, some of the, these are some of the situations that the original audience of Hebrews were facing. That would make faith hard to hold on to, right? And while I don't think any of us, and I pray that it's true, um, will have our property confiscated um, because we're following Jesus, um, we will have these circumstances come up that make the gospel difficult, where, like Thomas, we'll doubt. And so if we enter into Thomas's story here in John chapter 20, we'll notice that Jesus one of his first appearances to his disciples um, was to ten disciples, Um, but there are a few guys missing, one of them being Judas, who was not there for Jesus' first appearance for some pretty tragic events, and then Thomas, who was not actually there um, the first time that Jesus appeared to the rest of the disciples. And so the other disciples got to see the risen, resurrected Jesus. Um, They got to eat his cooking, some of the other gospels record, which, how awesome is that? But Thomas missed out. Thomas missed out on that. And so the others are telling him about this, but he is having a hard time believing it. And even though he had walked with Jesus for three years, he had seen the miracles, he had listened to Jesus' teachings, he saw Jesus feed the 5,000, he was there when Lazarus was raised, like, he believed. It's pretty easy to believe when you see the dead raised. But when we enter in here, in verse 24 of John 20, something's happened in Thomas's faith that's caused him to waver, caused him to doubt, caused him to question if he can hold on to this faith. And in verse 24, it tells this story. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And just a side note, might I suggest that I think his doubt could have been at least helped if he was there, um, but we'll get there. Um, but he said to them, 
until I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And you can just like hear the way I'm sure he would have said that. And a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So if you consider doubting Thomas here and his wavering of faith, faith being slippery for him to hang on to. In this story, notice Jesus's response to him. Notice what Jesus does for this doubter. The invitation to draw near, right? Come here. Touch my hand. Touch my side. Jesus didn't ridicule him. He didn't tease him. He didn't make any comments about that. The invitation to draw near. That's what Jesus gave him here. And so here, what I think we have to understand with this second let us statement of let us hold unswervingly um, is I, I think this is the instruction because we will swerve. And we know that, okay, there are passages that say, like, um, the one who doubts is double-minded. And of course, like, yeah, that's possible. But Jude tells us to be merciful to those who doubt. And as we see Jesus approaching Thomas, this one who was having a hard time holding on to the faith that he professed, what Jesus did was extend mercy. Show Thomas what he needed for faith at this moment. Show Thomas what he had to hang on to. And you see the disciples as well, how they had extended that invitation. They had told him, hey, we've seen the risen Lord. You should see it as well. You missed the last meeting, but be here for the next one, right? And this also implies, right, that we can be doubters or that the doubters are among us as well, right? If you notice, Thomas was there with them the second time. But one of the things to recognize um, when we are going through doubt is do you notice how long of a time Thomas had to wait between when he appeared to the disciples that first time and when Thomas actually got to see him? In verse 26, it says that it was a week later that Thomas had to wait an entire week then to see Jesus. And I think this is a good reminder for those of us, because when we are doubting, when we are questioning, when we are having a hard time holding on to the hope that we profess, like it can feel like an eternity. And Jesus let him stew in that for an entire week. Let him wait in that for an entire week. But nonetheless, because Thomas was there again, he was able to draw near to God, and to hold on to the hope that he professed. Um, and you can read um, church tradition, which says what Thomas did next. Um, it's not recorded in the Bible, um, but recorded in history is that Thomas actually went to India next. And he was actually a very effective missionary to India. So effective, in fact, that Thomas actually became a really popular last name um, for Indian Christians. Um, today, the best estimate is that just by judging, if this is one way we can judge Thomas's impact, um, there are six million people living in India alone with the last name Thomas. Pretty significant, all tracing back probably to those early Christians who heard the gospel for the first time from this man. 
And so there are millions of people who are able to hold on to the gospel, to the faith that they profess, because years ago this doubter traveled to India as a missionary. And that's pretty encouraging um, to me when I recognize that I'm having a hard time holding on to this faith, I profess, when I have a hard time holding on to the gospel, um, to recognize that, who knows, maybe that's just preparation for becoming a missionary, right? Maybe that's just preparation, God allowing you to, to stew in your doubt in order to reach that place of depth that he requires here. And the instruction from the book of Hebrews here, from the Holy Spirit in this chapter, is a reminder of that. This chapter ends with these words. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. Then the author of Hebrews just reminds the people, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed but to those who have faith and are saved. So yes, our faith can be slippery. It can be hard to hold on to. And at times it can be really difficult. Maybe even have your property confiscated. But the promise here is that when you hold on, when you persevere, when you are one of the people who don't shrink back, who don't swerve off this narrow way, um, that persevering in faith results in this genuine, deep faith It results in God working through us in amazing ways. 1 Peter chapter 1 describes the kind of faith that comes out of persevering as genuine faith that is of greater worth than gold. And this is what Thomas had as he held to this faith. But also notice, as we consider this message of the story of Thomas here, uh, where was Thomas when he finally saw Jesus? Where was he? Just a basic scan of the passage. He was with the other disciples, right? So that's kind of our third lettuce statement, right? Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as the day is approaching. We meet together. We help one another to draw near to God. We help one another to hold to this faith that can be hard to hang on to. And this last instruction is a recognition that we cannot follow him alone and that we cannot hold on to this faith alone. Um, That our lives are meant to be lived in community as we pursue knowing God and knowing Jesus. Because like it said earlier, the gospel can be hard to hold on to, right? And there are a million other stories also competing for Jesus' attention and wanting to fill our schedules and take our attention away. And so this prioritizing of time together intentionally to encourage one another, to help one another hold on to the gospel, to spur one another on towards the service, I think is key. And I think it's core to the Christian faith to be plugged into community, to be engaging with one another for these purposes. And this was especially important, I think, for the original audience of the Hebrews, um, because they obviously had probably seen people walk away from faith, um, people who did give up on Jesus. Um, It's kind of funny there in verse 25, There it says, um, you know, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And the Holy Spirit's kind of throwing some shade, it looks like. Um, But I don't think this is a hypothetical situation. I think that's a pretty specific situation. I think there must have been some who got into the habit of not 
being with them, of not being there. They saw people walk away. They saw people stop meeting with them. And if we consider Thomas's story, we know that he met, or Jesus appeared to the other disciples that first time when Thomas wasn't there, right? It's in verse 19 of John 20, and it records Jesus's appearance to them there. And it says that they were gathered on the first day of the week. And the first day of the week was essentially their church. That was their time when they gathered for the worship of Jesus. And who wasn't there? Well, Thomas wasn't. And most scholars say that Thomas should have been there. I mean, he should have been there to see Jesus. He should have been there with them that day. And, you know, we could speculate all we want of whether or not that would have prevented his doubt or not. He probably would have still had trouble believing, but it couldn't have hurt. (laughs) I'm sure if he would have been there that day, it would have helped his doubt. It would have helped his faith a whole lot instead of having to go an entire week with this question and with this fear that he could have been there that day. He could have not given up on meeting that one day to see Jesus. But this is what is actually a great risk for us when we are in these seasons of doubt, when we are in these seasons like Thomas where we're questioning. The temptation is going to be to not meet together, right? To make that a habit. When we're doubting, when we're having a hard time holding on to our faith, our natural tendency is to think, well, I just, I don't have it together enough to be around them right now. Um, And they don't want to hear my questions. They don't want to have to deal with this. And our tendency is actually to shrink back and to avoid community when actually that is often what we need the most in these times. That I think these seasons of doubt, I think because our natural tendency is to pull away, I think that's the Holy Spirit's invitation into community. When we're having these doubts and we feel like we just can't be together with our Christian friends at the moment, I think that's the Holy Spirit's call back into community to meet together, to allow others to hold us up and to help us to hold on to this hope that we profess. That we actually need others. And this doubt is a reminder of that. It's a reminder of that. Um, A.J. Swoboda, in his book, After Doubt, which I would highly recommend, um, he wrote about this guy in his church named Phil, um, who was this young college guy from the Midwest who had just moved to his church, and he was just on fire for the Lord, wanting to be involved in everything, wanting to just, you know, just change the world and serve in every single way possible. Um, And A.J. writes, he tells this story about how after Phil started attending for a while, a few months went by, and he slowly started to kind of drop in attendance, and he slowly stopped coming, and he wasn't really as involved as he was before. And so he met up with Phil, talked to him about why this might be, and he found out that Phil had been wrestling um, with a lot of doubts, with a lot of questions, um, with a lot of fears and a lot of resentment um, towards like his family of origin and his church of origin and just some of the beliefs that he felt were not good. And so he was struggling and wrestling with whether or not he was a Christian anymore. Um, And Swoboda tells the story. He says, Phil started crying. And he says, I don't know if I'm still a Christian. I want to be, but I'm having a really hard time hanging on to this. I have all these questions and I have all these fears, but all I have to talk to are podcasts. And Swoboda recognized that You know, typically when someone would come to him with doubts and with questions, um, his first temptation is like, well, we can just fix this. Like, I can send you, I can send you a book. I can send you a YouTube video. Um, Just read this apologist. Just listen to this sermon and everything will be fine. 
But he says that this conversation with Phil was a good reminder to him that in those moments, often a person is not looking for all the answers. They're not looking for a link to an article. They're looking for a link to someone who will walk with them. And the instruction in Hebrews 10 is to be that, to be that link, someone who can walk with those who are struggling to hang on to this gospel, to not give up meeting together. And this is what is needed. And he tells the story with a happy ending at this point. So Phil is now a follower of Jesus. I mean, he says he has a deeper faith than he ever did before. But he comments that when you stick with Jesus through these difficult seasons of doubt and deconstruction, he says that the richness that awaits you on the other side is unimaginable. But it requires these three things, of drawing near to God, of holding on to the hope we profess, and of not giving up meeting together. And it requires us to consider how we can spur one another on how we consider spurring one another on. And so while this chapter, I think, was, was written a lot for those, those issues that the original audience was facing, you know, the intense persecution that they faced and the intense <laughs> confiscation of property and jail time that they faced, um, I don't think any of us, and in our generations, we will face that to the extent, um, but I think the kind of struggles that we face have their own unique challenges. And I think the big question for us is really, are we going to be willing to draw near to God, um, to cut things out that might get in the way of us and Him? And are we willing to be changed by our interactions with Him? Are we willing to draw near to God? And are we willing to hold on to the hope that we have, even when it's hard to hang on to, even when the circumstances come, even when the pressures push us to swerve or to waver, we're willing to hold on to that hope that we have. And I think the big question that we have to answer is, are we going to be a people who don't give up meeting together, who commit to considering others, to welcoming the doubters in our midst, and not running away from community when that doubter is us? Because I think if we are in pursuit of knowing Jesus, knowing God, and if we are going to be a people who are living out the Great Commission and seeing disciples of all nations, then this is how we pursue that goal. This is how that goal is accomplished in us. It's drawing near to God, holding on to our hope, and considering others, spurring one another on, not giving up, meeting together. And when we do that, I think, you know, you could take any metric you need to, um, but you would see that God's work and through us would be worth it. So as we go into this next week, would you consider those three things? Consider those lettuce statements. Consider how it is that God is calling you to pursue this goal in light of these instructions. Um, so before we get back into worship, um, let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray. Um, so Father God, uh, we just come before you and we lift our eyes to you, recognizing that you are the one from which our help comes from. God, we commit to being a people who, who don't shriek back, uh, but who commit to faith. And we just thank you that we are not alone in that, that this is not just dependent on our effort and on our gritting our teeth and white-knuckling it, but that you have invited us to draw near to you. And that it's from this place of deep connection with you that we are able to pursue the rest. 
And so, God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be working in our hearts and minds today. Um, I just pray that you would um, release any feelings of, of guilt and shame for all the opportunities maybe that we've missed to draw near to you because you just give us new grace every day and you give us these opportunities every day. And so, God, I just pray that you would just encourage us in that way. Show us all the ways that you are calling us to draw near to you, the things that might be impeding that. And God, for those of us in this room who might be struggling to hang on to faith at the moment, would you just remind them of the story of Thomas, that you are beckoning them to draw near, that when we draw near to you, that you draw near to us. And would you just show them what it is that they are needing in this time. And for for the rest of us, would you just use us? Would you use us to be the people who would spur one another on toward love and good deeds? And Jesus, we'll just trust you in that. And so we just accept your invitation to draw near, God. And we praise you. We thank you for speaking to us in these important reminders. So now, would you just receive this worship? Jesus, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
good I will taste and see that you are good I will taste and see that you are good practices that I've started doing to help myself to draw near to God um, is oftentimes when I spend a lot of time in prayer, I kind of just run out of things to say, don't know what to say to God, or I just feel like oftentimes I just bring him a grocery list um, that I'm shouting to him. And so one of the things I've started doing um, is just plagiarizing the words of scripture and trying to figure out, well, how would I pray this for myself or for my family or for others? Um, And so this week is your benediction. Um, Would you receive this Um, my plagiarized words from a mix of John 20 and Hebrews 10 as a prayer for all of you. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And blessed is the Thomas in all of us who acts on the longing to draw near to God and who draws near enough to touch Jesus himself. May you encounter the living God who draws near to you. And may you, like Thomas, persevere to do the will of God. May you not be those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved, who hold fast to the hope you profess, for you will receive what God has promised. And may you, like Thomas, find yourself side by side with other believers, even in doubt. And may you daily consider how you may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, and that you, like the disciples, would tell all you know, we have seen the Lord. So grace and peace, common ground. Thank you for coming. Have a wonderful week.